the pillar of the rules-based order. But beyond these short-term issues, it's been for several years, if not almost two decades, an issue of making the, you know, just being able as a, a collective system of member states, as WTO, to make the system adapt new rules uh, for the 21st century. Um, so I, yeah, let's have a discussion of how this, where, where are we, where are we going to take this, and let's take the views from all these uh, panelists. Everyone will have a sh uh, make a short introduction, se seven, eight minutes. I would really be thankful if you could stick to it, and then we'll interact and then open the floor also to you for questions. So, Mr. Shah. Yeah. <coughs> Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. <coughs> I'm the minister from the Chinese mission to EU. <coughs> It gives me a great pleasure to attend today's event at Bruegel <coughs> as a prestige think tank in Europe as well as, as, well as in, in the world. Bruegel is the place for <coughs> the brainstorming and the platform for the exchange and the cooperation. I feel privileged to join the two ambassadors and the professor today <coughs> Uh, in today's discussion on the current state and the future of the world trading system. Before I start, my special thanks also go to Madam Chair of the panel today <coughs> for the thoughtful arrangement. My current portfolio at Brussels is the trade and economic affairs between China and the EU. I'm by no means a WTO expert, but I would like to elaborate some of my personal views <coughs> on this topic. Number one, the multilateral system, trading system, is the commitment by all the member states. At the present, the multilateral trading system is being challenged as never before. The international community and all WTO members are deeply concerned. Unilateralism, trade protectionism will disturb normal trade activity, endanger the global economic recovery, undermines authority of the WTO-centered multilateral system and destroyed rules-based <coughs> multilateral trading order. From the conclusion of the GATT to the establishment of WTO, the shared objectives of the international community has always been so to build the open, fair, and reciprocal <coughs> multilateral trading system through substantive tariff reduction and to promote trade liberalization, investment facilitations, and achieve common development in this process. All WTO members have made a solemn commit commitments to the regulations and the judicial functions, especially that in dealing with the trade disputes <coughs> and the frictions. The parties concerned should not take on unilateral actions, but rather resort to the dispute settlement mechanism and abide by the relevant rules and the rulings. Unilateralism is a no answer to disputes. All WTO members <coughs> should be on side of the rules. Number two, the big, econo big economic power like China, EU, and Brazil are important power in the safeguarding the multilateral trading system. As China's commercial representative in the EU, I'd like to stress that I have a strong confidence and high hopes 
for China and the EU and <coughs> economic cooperation. Both members of as members of the as the both members of the WTO, China and the EU are each other's comprehensive strategic partners, and we shared the belief that to build an open economy, we should insist on openness and cooperation. In the meantime, China and the EU and Brazil all enjoyed commercial ties with one another. We shared strategic partnership relations, where important power in many multilateral mechanisms. The three parties shared consensus and carried out joint actions on the varieties of the multilateral issues. Big econ economic power will play a dominant role in the multilateral system. China is ready to safeguard rule-based multilateral trading system and promote more open, inclusive, balanced, and mutual beneficial growth of the world economy. Number three, the China is a positive energy in the multilateral trading system. China is not only the participant and the beneficiary of the multilateral system, trading system, but also is the driving engine with the positive power of the uh, contribution to the global economy. As latecomer in, in the WTO, at the time of the accession, China undertook not only the obligations of <coughs> common tariff reductions and the market liberalization, but also WTO plus obligations specially designed for China. For instance, the surrogate country practice and anti in anti-dumping investigation stipulated in Article 15 of the Protocol on China's accession to WTO. Despite unfair starting point, China has always insisted on the multilateral trading system and a safeguarded free trade system, honored its commitments to all the WTO members, satisfied and even gone beyond the WTO requirements for the developing countries. For so many times, China lowered the import taxes for thousands of import items voluntarily. In November this year, the China is going to hold the first international import expo with a series of affiliated forums and workshops on the international trade, which will serve as the platform for the relevant parties to promote international trading system and find solutions to difficult problems. China has <coughs> benefited from WTO in the developing process, and China's opening up has in turn played an important role in promoting <coughs> a stable growth of international trade and the world economy. When the global economy was dragged into the stagnations by the financial crisis and the debt crisis, it was China that shore up the global economy, contributing over 30% of the world economy growth, according to the World Bank. Number four. The Chinese commitment to the further opening up is in supporting the multilateral trading system. Last but not least, I would like to convey the message that China committed itself unswervingly to opening up. This, I believe, will bring hope and confidence to the beautiful spring that is now filled with uncertainty and challenges. The essence of the WTO is open fair and a rule-based competition. 
With the openness as the foundation, the China's open up has entered a new phase. In the just calculated, uh, concluded ball forum for Asia, the China President, Mr. Xi Jinping, in his keynote speech, put forward four <coughs> strategic measures of opening up, which are even more precious given the rising protectionism. These measures a manifestation of Chinese commitments to safeguard multilateral trading system in a responsible manner. Ladies and gentlemen, the world economy is never so globalized as today. It is irresistible and irreversible, no matter you like it or not. <clears throat> it is the trend and development of the history. The economy of all countries are so bounded and interconnected Multilateral system is the institutional guarantee for the prosperity of the world economy. Well, let's miss, let me stop here and thank you very much. Thank you very much. <coughs> You're going to receive a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> but um, up to you, Ambassador Vargas. Yeah. Thank you very much, Diana. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here in Bruegel with uh, such uh, a distinguished audience and distinguished colleagues here in the panel. Uh, let me start saying something that is obvious, that we are, we face all a critical juncture in WTO history. And therefore, this is a very timely initiative to discuss this organization, which is certainly one of the pillars of uh, the international governance nowadays. What is clear for Brazil, and has become even more evident in recent days, is that we will be all worse off uh, without WTO and the multilateral trading system. There was a sense of disappointment with the lack of substantive multilateral results at the Buenos Aires Ministerial Conference. At the same time, there was some relief, which Brazil shared, uh, with the fact that in Buenos Aires, members had preserved an atmosphere of dialogue and avoided any major disruption. All members had reaffirmed and uh, committed themselves to the WTO, and that, that was a positive note. Unfortunately, the situation seems to have deteriorated sharply since January. At least two serious challenges are now putting that to test the main pillars of the WTO, which are its negotiating function as well as the activities of its regular bodies. The first challenge is that of protectionism. The integrity of the multilateral trading system is threatened by unilateral actions which undermine its fundamental rules and raise the risk of trade war. Brazil has been very clear on this issue. We believe that these kind of measures are unjustified and do not constitute a solution to the problem they seek to address. We are ready, as always, to discuss trade concerns of specific members on a bilateral basis. That is, as a matter of fact, has always been the natural course of action. 
but we are also ready to defend our interests, like each other party to the, to the, to the uh, WTO, and our rights both bilaterally and at the WTO. The second challenge is the risk of paralysis of the dispute settlement system resulting from the delay to, find, to fill the vacancies of, in the appellate body. For Brazil, the need to fill the vacancies in the appellate body is the most pressing challenge to preserve the organization. Brazil is ready to discuss any specific concerns about the appellate body which have to be cleared, stay, clearly stated by the interested members and any concrete proposals that be presented. We also believe that members should explore temporary alternative solutions to avoid the daring consequences of, uh, of paralysis. Going forward, let me share with you how Brazil views the possibilities of evolution in the negotiating pillar and in streamline the work of the WTO. Starting with the negotiating pillar, we need to engage in a comprehensive discussion to agree on a negotiating agenda, restating positions have, that have already proven to be not viable will not do so. As we have stated in Geneva, Brazil is uh, willing to support discussions on a comprehensive assessment of our negotiating mandates and agenda in any format. For Brazil, reform of agricultural disciplines remains the priority. This is also a development cornerstone given the crucial role of agriculture in most developing countries. Apart from the clear uh, MC11 ministerial guidance on fishery subsidies, a common understanding on the way forward has yet to emerge. We are aware that for some members, reaching some sort of prior understanding on the scope of development and special and differential treatment in WTO disciplines would unlock the doors to future agreements. We are open to discuss this view, but we believe that any discussion would not be productive if conducted in isolation from uh, or in any kind of sequencing in relation to other areas of negotiation. Brazil is also ready to start substantive discussion, discussions on the issue that are issues that are already in the agenda, even under less than multilateral formats, such as um, micro, small, and medium enterprises, uh, investment facilitation, e-commerce, uh, domestic regulation in, in, in services. Brazil has tried to be as flexible and creative as possible. We have been ready to discuss issues that we are not necessarily interested in. We have engaged. We believe that more flexibility is certainly a necessary ingredient if we want to move forward. Moving to the regular work to the WTO is an important issue. We also find it important to recommit to the very important work in the regular bodies of the WTO. Improving transparency, for instance, is a key step forward. 
However, in our view, all WTO fundamentals implementing in implementation and monitoring, negotiation, dispute settlement are equally important and supplement each other. If one of the pillars is negatively affected, the impact will be felt across the organization. In order to conclude, I want to say three points, to, to state three points. Among the main achievements that we can attribute to the WTO are, first, the predictability that comes from the existence of agreed rules, and second, the commitment incorporated into these rules to stay away from the unilateral trade actions that might harm global trade. We have all benefited from these achievements. And finally, the future of the world trading system depends on decisions we take now. Prominent among these decisions is the challenge of addressing the most immediate threats before us, namely the risk of a trade war and the paralysis of the WTO dispute settlement. Thank you very much. Ambassador van Herkelen, what is the EU's views on the future of the WTO? Um, we haven't heard of that much, actually. And tell us what's happening a bit also in Geneva. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Dreyer. Um, you know, I prepared myself for these seven minutes on the basis of the, the key well, the points, on the key points that you raised in, in an email to me, and of course, being a, a disciplined civil servant, that is what I'm going to do. Okay. Uh, but obviously, the points you've just uh, touched upon will will uh, surface in there. The first question you asked is, well, what is the state of the, 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 the multilateral trading system right now? Well, you know, it's hard to say that it's good. Um, it's actually uh, in a pretty critical state. And uh, under pessimistic scenarios, this could go very badly wrong. Uh, on the other hand, of course, as we all know, uh, never waste the opportunity of a good crisis. Um, a crisis is also a revelation of problems, and if you can then build on those, or if you then can tackle those problems uh, in a constructive manner, perhaps in the end there is a silver lining to the cloud. Uh, but on the three pillars of a WTO, we are not doing well. Uh, as you know, the WTO has three pillars, negotiations, dispute settlement, and monitoring of members' trade policies. Uh, with regard to negotiations, well, we, we had a magnificent rule book for 1996. But since then, uh, 22 years uh, on, we have only added two pieces. Uh, trade facilitation and uh, a ban on agricultural export subsidies. That's not that we haven't tried enough, but there's just no consensus in the room to get uh, moving further. Dispute settlement, it has already been touched upon. I'm pretty sure that questions will come, so I'm not going to mention that. But we are also in a pretty bad state. Uh, three, with regard to, to monitoring there as well, uh, it's hard to monitor what uh, individual members of the WTO are doing with regard to actual trade policies and policies that have an influence on the so-called level playing field because there is a problem of notification. Many members don't notify what they're doing, although they should, but they don't. And we're not talking here about very poor LDCs. We're talking about a number of countries where we believe they have a perfect technical capacity to do so. On your second point, uh, you know, what, what should WTO members do in, in terms of response vis-a-vis -vis the current 
U.S. measures, <clears throat> we have said as, as an EU in the General Council, which is just below the ministerial conference, the highest organ of WTO, we clearly said that unilateral measures are not the way forward. Uh, they, if there are problems, let's discuss them, but unilateral measures are definitely not the path. They're dangerous, uh, definitely, because they can also lead then to unilateral measures by others, and before you know, you're in tit for tat and in a trade war, which I think we all want to avoid. And the U.S. clearly has heard those messages from very many members. At the same time, um, it's also true that WTO is not perfect. The, there is room for improvement, um, and let's discuss those matters. Those who have problems should bring it to the table through proposals, and let's discuss them. Unilateral measures are not going to solve any problems. It only is going to exacerbate them. What it has done, though, the current tension, is that many people have started looking into the abyss, and have said, hey, wait a moment. We have built this up for 70 years. This has been a very laborious process. Let us not destroy this. Let us uh, step back, see what has to be done, but a, um, a, 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 an, an all-out trade war would fatally wound, or might fatally wound the WTO, and what is then the alternative, the law of the jungle. Um, three, can the EU, <coughs> China, Brazil, lead in making the world trading system fit for the 21st century? Yes, we can but we are not sufficient. This is an organization of 164 members and consensus is the rule. So if you want to have multilateral progress, well, uh, quite a few will have to put their shoulders to the wheel. Uh, obviously the big five, the big seven, uh, you know, you have three very big players in the WTO. China, the US and the EU. <clears throat> The three of them have something like 15% of world trade. Next in line is Japan, with 4.5%. You have Brazil, India, and a few others. Obviously, the three big players have to <coughs> make sure that the WTO thrives, but the others also have to play a role. Definitely, if you want to go to multilateral solutions to the problems. That brings me then to the final point. Are we stuck with bilateralism? No, we are not. Bilateralism, as a matter of fact, has also has had its problems. I mean, many FTAs do not produce perhaps what has been uh, expected. Um, there are, I think, uh, prospects for multilateral deals, especially those where we have been asked to produce a multilateral outcome by the highest level uh, of government in the world, which is the Sustainable Development Goals. We have a task, we have to discipline fishery subsidies. That should be a multilateral outcome. But multilateralism is not the only way forward. You can also have plurilaterals, and especially the plurilaterals that are MFN based on a critical mass are definitely a valid alternative to multilateralism. If first best is not available, let's do second best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's, that's gonna be, you're also going to receive a lot of questions. <laughs> Andre, what's? your independent academic view of this, <laughs> about <right>. the fray. <laughs> no, uh, I'm going to try to look at the three uh, related uh, issues. First, uh, should we be surprised of the poor state of the, uh, of the system? And my answer is no. 
and I will explain why. Uh, the second question I will uh, look at is, um, even though we are not surprised, should we be worried? And the answer there is yes. And the third issue is what Mark uh, just discussed and the two previous panelists as well is, what is the way forward? You know, if we are worried, uh, it's not enough to be worried, right? We have to, uh, and it's not enough to talk. Uh, we have to, uh, to act. So what uh, should we do and what are the uh, priorities? Now, why at least I'm not surprised uh, of the state of the situation? And not looking at you know, what has happened simply in the last two months. Uh, putting that against the, uh, the, 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 the background of the last 20, 30 years. Uh, in a sense, since the, uh, since the creation of the, uh, of the WTO in the mid-1990s, it's clear that the world has changed. Uh, the world is undergoing a great, uh, a great transformation and uh, globalization. Sure, we are living in a second wave of, uh, of globalization, and globalization brings a lot of positive elements and bring a lot of people out of, of poverty, bring new products, uh, new choices, lower prices, but uh, together with also the huge technological changes that are taking place, it's clear uh, that there is a redistribution of cards between countries and within countries. And this is taking place at a very, very high uh, speed. Uh, Mark said, well, there are you know, three countries today in the world, or three entities that represent roughly the same share of world trade, 15%, at least that's for trade in goods, and that's right, the EU, uh, the US, and China. Now, go back 20 years ago, the uh, situation was slightly, uh, slightly different. Uh, and it's not just China, China is obviously among uh, the emerging, or as I prefer to say, re-emerging countries, uh, the, uh, the largest one, uh, but Brazil, indeed, uh, India, uh, others uh, are also growing at a very, very high speed. And, uh, you know, there's a new reality of, of the world. Um, so, uh, you know, how does the system cope uh, with those changes and this redistribution? And the redistribution is not just between countries, uh, it's also redistribution within countries. Uh, it's clear that at least in the uh, advanced economies where growth has been slower, where there's been a crisis, difficult crisis, a great recession, uh, it's clear that uh, also uh, there's been increase of uh, problems on the side of income distribution. And all of this... And whether, and you know, there are lots of debates in the academic literature whether uh, trade is responsible for this, is it technological change? In the end, it doesn't really make uh, that much difference. It's clear that there is discontent uh, on the side of uh, citizens. There is demand for populism, and demand for populism is being met by supply for populism. And we know populism rhymes with nationalism, rhymes with protectionism. So all of this is not surprising, you know. This great uh, transformation between countries, within countries, uh, and the rapidity at which it's going, and the backdrop of the, uh, of the Great Recession, uh, is certainly uh, a very dangerous cocktail that one could see was going to be difficult for the system to handle, regardless of different 
uh, individuals uh, in charge in different countries, or whether it's about steel or it's about something else. There are serious tensions in the system, and uh, the system needs, needs to deal with that, uh, that reality. So, question number one, no, I'm not surprised. One can discuss about the timing. Why now as opposed to two years ago, three years ago when the recession was really at work? But that's a different matter. Second issue, should we, uh, should we care uh, about this and should, be, should we be worried? Yes, we should be worried because as I said, and I think all panelists have said, uh, the system has delivered. The system has delivered and it's never very obvious for a global public good where there is always danger of free riding, uh, it's not obvious for a system of that sort to, to deliver. And it has delivered. It has delivered, indeed, in terms of liberalization, in terms of rules, and with the WTO now, uh, the, the dispute settlement uh, system, indeed, as you said, Yana, the, the jewel of the crown, has delivered. Okay? So, and in a sense, for me, for one, during the, like many economists, during the Great Recession, I did get worried. Uh, I remember that in 2001, we launched the, uh, the Doha round, and uh, it has become the longest ever round without you know, uh, getting to, uh, to an outcome. So the, the system was weak. There was the Great Recession, the, 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 the crisis. I was worried during the crisis that the system would, would unravel. And in a sense, I was saying, yes, yes, sure, you know, some of my colleagues were saying, look, this increase of protectionism here and there, different indicators. That we, I said, look, compared to the severity of the crisis and to the background that I described before, this great transformation, it seems to me that countries have abided uh, on the whole to their at least G20 commitments. So I was, you know, optimistic. The system has, at the worst time, at the time of crisis, it has managed to... Uh, to, to, to survive, and uh, without too much damage. And it's now after the crisis that we are posing this existential question. I'm not fully surprised, but the timing I, I, uh, I did not believe. So the system did deliver even during the crisis. There was not really an increase of, uh, of protectionism. And I think countries did understand that indeed uh, it is a common good and that we all stand to lose from uh, unraveling uh, of the system. And uh, there was, I think, uh, some uh, wisdom uh, that emerged uh, at, at the time. Maybe some of that wisdom is being uh, lost at the moment, though I'm a bit reassured by declarations on, on the panel here uh, that we want to, uh, you know, we don't want to let go of the system. We understand that there is a crisis and let's uh, open our eyes to some of the reality and tackle them. So I come to my last point. What should we do uh, about this? Certainly not enough uh, anymore uh, to make commitments, to make nice speeches. Uh, all of this is very much uh, appreciated. And, uh, but one needs leadership and uh, one, needs, uh, one needs serious uh, action. I think the serious action, I for one, uh, I would not at this moment, uh, and I don't think that's the emergency, it's not the pillar of liberalization. Uh, liberalization, there's been a lot of liberalization. Sure, there can be more liberalization, but on the whole, it seems to me that this is not the uh, priority. Uh, the priority is with the rules part uh, of, the, uh, of the WTO. I think the more important part, uh, the rules-based system, 
the certainty uh, about the rules, and indeed, in relationship to the, to the rules, the dispute, uh, the dispute settlement. Now, on the rules, this is the more difficult question, frankly. This is the more difficult question because the system has been conceived for a different era. Uh, and it has been conceived by a different group of countries than those that are also now joined the, uh, the, uh, the founders. Uh, and so one needs to, one needs to recognize that. Uh, now that poses some fundamental questions. Uh, you know, one can discuss about the nature uh, of uh, different economies, different economic system, and how those different economic system uh, can um, coexist inside the multilateral uh, trading system and of their rules. Uh, are there certain uh, changes that need to be made uh, there so that indeed one, one recognizes the reality, one doesn't close one's eye to that, and what does it, what does it mean? Uh, I think a very, very difficult question, but I think without uh, tackling this, this question, we are not going to make progress. One last word about the dispute settlement, since this has been mentioned. Sure, uh, there is a problem, and I think uh, all speakers said that uh, one needs to unlock uh, the deadlock about the appointment of judges. But uh, if I may something, say something on behalf of the... Uh, elephant uh, who is not uh, in, the, uh, in the room, uh, the United States, I do think that there are problems with some of the rules uh, on the uh, appellate body. And one of the rules, uh, rule number 15, uh, which the US delegation uh, regularly uh, complains about, uh, about the fact that judges, after their term has been over, continue to deal with files uh, that they started to deal with uh, while still being, uh, as it were, in office, that rule is, to me, uh, should be changed. It's a strange rule. I understand the, the, the complaint uh, of the United States uh, on, this, uh, on this ground. I don't know too many courts. I'm not a lawyer, uh, although I speak to some uh, friends of mine who are lawyers and to whom I discuss those matters. I don't know too many courts where after leaving the Supreme Court, you're still dealing with some of the files that you were dealing with before. It doesn't seem to me a very, very good uh, system. So I think there are a number of changes, some like this, which are not major, some that are much more major, that indeed the countries that are sitting here on this panel, but others, the United States, uh, the large countries first and foremost, but uh, other countries indeed need to, uh, need to agree upon. And so this is much, much more important in my view than uh, some of the agenda that we had in the Doha round, uh, and particularly about liberalization. Let's focus on the rules and on the dispute settlement. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. There's a lot of food for thought, and obviously this is a huge, huge topic. Um, from what has been said, I have a feeling there are three main issues. There's the underlying issue of subsidy disciplines, which goes into the area of agriculture and fishery subsidies, which is an old WTO topic, the transparency of subsidies, and the issue of overcapacity, which in, in some uh, industries, especially sort of sunset-style industries, um, 
where, where China is a focus, uh, but not necessarily exclusively, uh, and which interferes with the next thing, which is about the appellate body dispute settlement, because obviously the way the EU is and the US are handling the China market economy status case uh, is truly about telling China, you know, you have your subsidies, we're not going to change our system because we want a way of stopping this dumping. But on the same time, Chinese have a point on the legality. <laughs> uh, it seems to me, I mean, I'm not a lawyer myself, but I've looked into this for a long time. So how, how do we find among these big, big beasts uh, some form of way of compromising on this nexus? Um, and then obviously there's the new topics, the issue of, of, of relevance of new topics, negotiations. Uh, may, may I also, I mean, we have had TISA, the Trade and Services Agreement, which was led outside the WTO because there was no cons consensus to do that within the WTO. There was no agreement uh, on that. How, how is this thinking going on on more plurilateral flexible formats given this constraint? And the, econom uh, the EGA, the uh, Environmental Goods Agreement, also stalled uh, for a variety of reasons, but everyone had some, is a culprit, you know, everyone. You with bikes, the Chinese with, uh, I don't know what it was again, and then the US uh, came in. Is plurilateral the solution uh, for this? Uh, so maybe I want everyone, <laughs> maybe you, Mr. Shah, could uh, start you know, uh, on this sort of subsidies in China, MES. Um, and maybe you want to also react to what the others have said. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, China is a strong support for the, the multilateral systems and by, by the rules and the rulings of, of the WTO. <coughs> Since that China is a developing country, it's now it's still a developing country, with the, the average uh, <coughs> GDP is about uh, 8,800 US dollars. It's much lower than the developed countries. And the very beginning of the Chinese accession to WTO, make the commit, commitment for the <coughs> For the, <coughs> the the binding of the rulings, <coughs> for the sub subsidies subsidies that uh, uh, I, I think that every country has subsidies. <coughs> if the if the subsidies is is, is in conformity with WTO rules, that is okay. <coughs> but is it possible to increase the transparency about these subsidies in the WTO? What yes, of course. That, that China is on the way to the to the trans transparencies. <coughs> okay. Yeah. We'll <laughs> Uh, the China is, is a little bit difficult. The system, economic systems is a little bit different, different from developed, developed countries. We have uh, so many, uh, <coughs> and also the implementations of the, the policies is uh, uh, various from uh, provinces to provinces, from cities to cities. So from the central part of China, that's we have uh, uh, <coughs> told the, the local governments that and, and uh, uh, relevant agencies uh, to, to buy by the laws and the regulations of the uh, WTO, but uh, in, 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 in reality, that's probably there are some authorities in the local parts, they have uh, 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 violated the, the, the regulations, so give them more subsidies to the, to the state-owned enterprises. Some, it is not mainstream, but... Uh, in total, in, in, in totally, that uh, the China is on the way to the, the <coughs> strict, uh, the implement implement the rules and the laws of the of the uh, multilateral systems. Okay, that is very interesting. Um, the 
there is also this uh, steel for um, global steel overcapacity forum in the OECD where China is <coughs> participating. Uh, and this is where the EU is trying to steering the US at the moment as well. Uh, to, instead of taking unilateral action, let's solve this diplomatically. Can you tell us more about how China is acting within this forum? Yeah. Uh, for the overcapacities of iron, steel, and aluminum, and some staple uh, <coughs> products, that China has uh, made a commitment that we have uh, reduced and uh, cut the overcapacities. For the last uh, five years, China has already cut 1. Uh, 1.170 million tons of the overcapacities. And uh, <coughs> since that the China is a big country, so with so many capacities, that uh, it is very difficult. Usually, as we know, that when a big ship can turn around, you have to take times. That's, but China has to make, make the effort. <coughs> and a lot of employment has been involved in that, in that capacities. So the Chinese central government has already injected 100 billion Chinese currencies <coughs> to help the, the unemployment to, trans, to make transit of the jobs. So it is China make an effort. And of course, I would like to stress that uh, for the, the reasons of the overcapacities, I, I think that there, there are some reasons behind. <coughs> China is a big country for the productions. We have a big su supply, supply and a demand, especially the domestically. But uh, <coughs> as you remember, that in, in 2008-2009, when the <coughs> financial crisis erupted in the United States, <coughs> we <coughs> the, the, the United States has come to, has come to China uh, asking for the coordinations by putting more, inject, putting more money in the, in the industry. So we can see from the chart that uh, from the 2008-2009, the, the capacities for Chinese steel and iron are going up very rapidly. And since then, that keeps stable in the certain high levels. So, <clears throat> but now, the overcapacity over is the problem for China. But <laughs> That, that is the, <clears throat> that's the one, one of the reasons for the overcapacity. So uh, anyway, that's, uh, this year that the China has already, already make, <clears throat> made the commitment, we're going to cut another three, 30 million, uh, uh, 30, 30 million, yeah, 30 million uh, <clears throat> tons of the overcapacities. So it, it, is the take, it takes time. <clears throat> and also I think that the, for the fluctuations of the, the world economies, but overcapacity sometimes caused by the, 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 <coughs> the slump of the uh, uh, economy in the world. There's a, a short of, short of requirement uh, by, the, 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 the <coughs> by the, the users in, in different countries. Okay, that's very interesting. Let, let's, let's follow this. Um, back to the WTO, uh, Ambassador Vargas, I, I was very struck uh, when, uh, by the fact that Brazil and the EU tabled together in the WTO um, a joint proposal on agricultural subsidies, where this time it was the US that was a bit on the defensive. Um, so that there was a shift in interest, obviously, in the EU, and also in will in the EU to capitalize on domestic reforms uh, on this. Um, where do you see this EU-Brazil collaboration in the WTO going forward? Can it go also beyond the subsidies issue? Well, uh, as you know, uh, EU is our second largest trading partner in Brazil. Uh, lots of uh, investments of the EU in Brazil and uh, lots of investments of Brazil in the EU. We are now 
uh, with Mercosur also negotiating a, a trade agreement with uh, the EU. But it's not about it's subsidies in the EU. Not in that, in that, yeah, not no, in that not about subsidies, but it, it gives you a dimension of the political importance of this of this trade relationship. And uh, of course, this will reflect at the at the at the WTO. Uh, I, of course, we regret that we we did not move forward as we expected with that uh, with that proposal. Uh, we believe we uh, we can still try to do this uh, in view of the importance of agriculture. Uh, for us, this is a key issue to, 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 to reform. But, uh, of course, all this will depend very much on how, uh, the, uh, how the other partners will wish to, to, to move forward. Because uh, I think that uh, Ambassador uh, Van Hoekland did said very, very precisely, we we face ourselves with an organization that is uh, composed by 164 members. And uh, it's an orga organization based on the uh, consensus rule. Uh, if uh, we, we, even if we are not uh, big fans of plurilateralism, we have uh, supported some plurilateral initiatives at uh, the WTO in Buenos Aires and so on. But there is one point with plurilateralism that we need to take into account, and which is, in my view, essential. Uh, plurilateralism uh, will work only if we have the presence in the agreements of all those who count, really, for the trade and for the initiative. So there cannot be, for example, a, a moving forward on uh, the issue of subsidies on agriculture if we do not have the major players on agriculture on board. Yeah? And uh, we know that uh, at least one major player uh, was, was not very satisfied with our initiative. So we will have to, to work on this further, certainly. But I think that we have a political situation now at the WTO, uh, which is making uh, the prospects, not only in this particular initiative, but on several others, very uncertain. And the, the, the question now is to uh, know exactly what is the political willing of the, of the members of the WTO to uh, reinforce the organization, to make the organization really work on, uh, on the objectives it has for the world trade. How, uh, Ambassador Van Hoekelen, um, you've mentioned this uh, plurilateral approach. Can you tell us more what exactly the EU is trying to put forward there, given also that we know the precedents and the difficulties and that you need to have also the form of agreement of others to go ahead with plurilateral in the system. 
Uh, and also I understand that even within the appellate bullet crisis, there is conversation about how can we make this function without the US, to put it bluntly. Um, is, this, is it possible to make the system more flexible by, with keeping this, in the end, this consensus mechanism? On, on plurilaterals. Um, first of all, plurilaterals exist. Uh, there is one closed plurilateral, which is a government procurement agreement. The ITA. 20 years, 20 years old. Mm. Then there are open, so MFN-based uh, plurilaterals like ITA, the Information Technology Agreement. In other words, the disciplines or the market liberalization is binding on those who sign and the others get the free ride. Um, plurilaterals are, to some extent, uh, the result of, dare I say, the abuse of the consensus rule. The consensus rule was created in order to make sure that in any outcome the vital interest of any member would be safeguarded. The consensus rule was not created to block the system, to make sure that nobody could move forward on any file. And uh, in the run-up uh, to Buenos Aires, and during Buenos Aires, there was clearly this sort of feeling of, well, you know, some people say, as long as you don't give me what I want on this file, no one is going to move on anything in future on any file. That has led to the joint statements uh, in Buenos Aires, of which there are now two plurilaterals uh, gradually uh, taking off, one is on e-commerce, the other one is on investment facilitation, um, where the idea is that uh, you are going to build MFN-based uh, plurilaterals, obviously with as many uh, players uh, as possible in the game, but we cannot wait until everyone is ready. I mean, take e-commerce, we've discussed this theme in the WTO since 1998. And we aren't getting nowhere. Lots of studies, lots of analysis, lots of meetings, but there is no willingness to move forward. And one of the reasons is that some countries say, as long as you don't deliver on Doha, we are not going to do anything, anything on uh, other files. And so we believe that that is not the right way forward. We do want to discuss the Doha issues. I mean, as the ambassador said, uh, we have made a proposal, Brazil and the EU, 20 years ago, it would be completely impossible. Brazil and the EU has made a proposal to get a breakthrough in agriculture. It hasn't worked. The proposal is still on the table. Um, but um, we are willing to talk to the, about the DOA issues, but that should not be the only show in town. We need to move forward with the other files, and plurilaterals are a way forward. Uh, in the sense that if they are MFN-based, and if the disciplines that you arrive at can be put in a country's individual schedules, then nobody can say, you can't do this. Then there is no blockage in the system anymore. Um, on uh, on the dispute settlement, I mean, obviously, uh, plan A is first best. We need to be able to convince the US that they should unblock the uh, launching of the selection panels for the three members. Uh, soon in September we'll have uh, possibly a, an, an either a reappointment or a fourth vacancy. We should 
move on that. If the U.S. has problems, and we know they have problems, uh, and they date back before the Trump administration, I mean, under Bush, under Obama, there were uh, American uh, complaints, and, and we have to look into them. But to say that uh, I'm unhappy and therefore I'm going to block, that is not reasonable. Those who are unhappy have to come forward with proposals on a finite list of issues. It's only then that you can move forward. If you say you're unhappy, but you don't really quite know how to deal with your unhappiness, well, what do you want the membership to do? Good question. Andre, I have, I mean, welcome to comment on all the questions and issues that have been raised. Uh, I'm really curious about this plurilateral thing. Uh, but I, I was very struck by the fact that none of you mentioned uh, the national security issue and um, the fact that China's already tabled a case uh, against Section 232, which is also considered by some as a potential breaker of the system, because how would, if there's any <laughs> dispute settlement system left, at least an appellate body to rule, uh, but how would, the, how would such a panel rule on such a sensitive issue? Uh, I can understand why government representatives would not want to comment really, but welcome, but Andres Apirte, what's your thoughts on this? Okay, I will give you a few of my thoughts about yeah. the, the, steel, the, steel. Uh, the, steel, uh, the steel issue in um, no particular order. Okay. Uh, uh, I think uh, there's blame obviously uh, all, uh, all around, in my view, including to the, uh, including to the EU mm. uh, on, on on this. So um, now, um, the, uh, the president, uh, the US president, has chosen uh, indeed uh, to introduce steel measures based on national security. Uh, so not based on a investigation in the US. Uh, of a uh, Article 19 a safeguard type. Um, now, one can say uh, this is devilish and, uh, on, on his part uh, because uh, he knew that it opened, he, you know, he, he put a very, very difficult problem to the system and leaving out the, the question of, uh, you know, whether there are judges or not in time for the case, it's clear that it would put the system, even besides that, it would put the system in a difficult position to have to rule uh, on this. Um, whether or not uh, the U.S. Uh, was uh, justified to, uh, to, to act on that basis. And you can see that whichever way the ruling would go in the WTO, it would uh, create a problem, obviously. If the WTO were to agree uh, that this was justified, this would open the door for you know, uh, any country to, uh, to act on that basis. If it's not, it's a, a slap in the face of, uh, of uh, President Trump and the risk that uh, the US pulls out, or at least temporarily, uh, from the WTO, so it's a it's, it's a very very difficult, uh, very very difficult issue politically. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I personally do think 
that uh, this is what one needs to do. One needs to go to the WTO with this. I do think that uh, the EU, which has not yet uh, acted uh, to take countermeasures because it's negotiating with uh, the US a permanent exemption, personally not to my taste, uh, I think the EU should not have gone down and fall into the trap uh, of the US to negotiate bilaterally. And by the way, when uh, President, uh, Bush, uh, President Trump signed the executive order on March the 3rd, indicated right there, right? 25%, but uh, I'm willing to talk to anybody uh, to see who are my friends and who are not my friends, and then we shall see. Uh, personally, I would not have advised the EU to go down the route to start to uh, seek a bilateral exemption. My, this is not the way I was educated. Uh, <laughs> and I was educated uh, as a defender of the system, of the multilateral system, not of entering into side deals of this sort. So, you know, uh, I'm, by the way, I'm educating the US uh, on, those, uh, on those matters. Now, so I think it was a mistake on the part of the EU. Um, okay, now it's gone down this route. Now, what will the EU do in case the US nonetheless puts the tariff? Is the EU going down the route, which I hear, and including some lawyers, advocating that anyway, this is not about national security, it's about the safeguard, and therefore we, the EU, we are entitled to take measures because the US is not offering us the compensation that we are entitled. Uh, I saw that China did uh, bring a case to the, to the WTO, I think personally rightly. Uh, I think that the EU would be not in its right to decide on its own that this is fake news, uh, this is about, uh, this is about uh, national security, this is really about safeguard. Uh, I think that's violating the spirit of the dispute settlement, the EU cannot decide on its own. That's for the WTO judge to decide what is the uh, reason for the US putting this measure. Uh, we cannot decide, wow, this is not about the national security, this is about safeguard, it's obvious, look at the tweets, look at this, it's uh, obvious and therefore I'm entitled to take. No. Uh, and I personally believe that the EU will not go down this route. Uh, I don't think it will, it, will, uh, it will do it. So I think that we're in a difficult situation. <laughs> There's no doubt. Whatever we do here, we're in a difficult situation. So uh, we need a lot of, uh, not just diplomacy, uh, we need a lot of leadership to get out of this very, very complicated situation. Uh, bringing a case against national security, what are the consequences? Acting as if it's not national security, as if it is a safeguard. Seeking a bilateral deal. Uh, what about other countries? Uh, including those with whom we have free trade agreements. I mean, it's, it's a mess. The whole thing is a mess. Uh, obviously, the EU is not at fault for having created the mess. But uh, I think the EU and China, obviously, as the other two uh, big elephants on trade, and Brazil and, and other countries, they need indeed to apply very, very care in dealing with, the, with this case. And again, uh, the exemptions is not my, uh, to my taste. Okay. Mark van Hoekelen, you have things to say. <laughs> Interesting comments by, by André. I mean, first of all, uh, 
in our view, it is extremely, extremely difficult to say that this has anything to do with national security. Um, the U.S. Defense Ministry uses 3% of the steel produced, produced in the U.S., 3%. Secondly, we are NATO allies. Um, and we are, well, long-standing partners on many issues of security. So how can we ever be seen as a threat to national security? That is also the sort of argument we have put to Washington, and we have not asked for, or we have not entered into any sort of horse trading with the U.S. to get an exemption. We have told them, listen, you have to give us an exemption because, you know, your arguments are groundless. And that is why they, they, we have now been granted an exemption until the 1st of May, but we have not gone into any sort of side deals, I can tell you. Two, if it walks like a duck, if it swims like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, in all likelihood, in all likelihood it is a duck. So this is a safeguard measure in disguise. That's for the WTO. Well, right. I know. And so what has happened is that we have uh, asked for consultations with the U.S. in the context of the safeguard agreement. This morning, the U.S. ambassador has already written me a letter saying that they disagree, that this is not a safeguard measure. Okay. Then we go to court. Exactly. Then we go to court, right, if need be. But we will continue our line that these are safeguard measures. We will take the necessary steps in Brussels to make sure that we preserve our rights under the safeguard agreement and we'll draw up a list of possible countermeasures. Now, drawing up the list of possible countermeasures is not the same decision as implementing those countermeasures. It's the saying to the other, listen, there is a gun on the table. I put the gun on the table, but I'm not shooting it. But I can shoot it. But I'll shoot it later if need be. There is a big difference. Huh? Now, um, on, secure, on, on Article 21, um, it is, of course, uh, Pandora's box. And it is frivolous to, for an issue that obviously is not national security to draw on Article 21. It has happened in the history of WTO twice. Once was Sweden. Sweden uh, was saying that it needed to defend the rubber industry in the 1970s uh, because the army needed rubber boots. Um, that case was quickly dropped when people said, you must be joking. We've done it with the U.S., the EU and the U.S. in 1994, I believe, uh, Helms-Burton on Cuba, where we took the U.S. Uh, to a panel on the basis of the, the U.S. then responded on the basis of 21. The panel started, but I think we both felt, let's not go there. So the panel work was suspended. We now have three cases, Ukraine, Russia, where Russia has invoked 21, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and the United Arab Emirates, where Article 21 is also, going, is also invoked, and now we have this. Um, we believe, contrary to Russia and the U.S., that Article 21 is justiciable. 
The US's view is as soon as I invoke 21, game over. We say no, the game is not over. The panel has to look at it, but I agree with André that this is a can of worms. How can panel members and later on the appellate body, do they have the legitimacy to speak about or to pronounce upon issues of national security? It's extremely delicate. But of course, the trouble with what has happened now is that this is going to give ideas to other people in the world. There is a big risk that now many are going to say, all right, why don't we invoke Article 21? So that is the, the real systemic poison that has been let loose. Okay, that's uh, encouraging. Um, <laughs> Let's, let's open to questions. We have about 20 minutes um, for questions. I would suggest you proceed the following way. Uh, I'll take three questions. Uh, please introduce yourself. Please ask questions and keep them short. No comment. No, no lengthy comments. Um, and there we are. I see there are plenty there. Here, here, and there. I'll try first. Kurt Geisert from Backbone Consulting in Germany. I have a question for the ambassador of China. How do you find the reaction of the European Union upon your One Belt, One Road initiative? Discussions are still going on. Do you think they, are, they take place in a constructive way? Okay. Was here, uh, um, question. Hi, I'm Vanith Napop with the Wall Street Journal. Um, I'm interested in, um, since you were describing this plurilateral uh, path as perhaps a, a way forward uh, for a more realistic and, and pragmatic uh, WTO reform, what would be the top areas where you would see um, such solutions? So what avenues would you pursue um, by this method? Thank you. And there was your question. Hello, thank you. Uh, my name is Wolfgang Papa. I'm associated with SEPS, formerly with the Commission. Uh, it sounds as there is a tendency to fall back into pluralism now. I would go just the opposite. Uh, we have seen with COP21 that there are other stakeholders which can have a positive impact on global negotiations. And I have the feeling we have to open up as well the negotiations in WTO to other stakeholders. Very simple terms, we see the big tech giants, the GAFA, nowadays having so much of an influence, not only about privacy, but as well on any political issues, democracy even. Isn't it time to open up the so-called multilateral system to what I call omnilateralism? That means omnibus, for all and by all, and not only nation states, because with nation states we have very limited interests, America first, whatever. And if you open up to other stakeholders the system, I think there's a chance to get the global interest and global values involved. I think this crisis should be seen in the Chinese context, uh, the word crisis has two characters. What is positive and opportunity as well, and not only the danger. And I think we should see the opportunity of a crisis here to open up. Thank you. Thank you. 
all three very pertinent questions. Who, who wants to answer first any of them? Do you want to answer the Obor question? It's, it's a bit, yeah, parallel, but let's handle that. It is the, <coughs> the, the initiative by, by China is, <coughs> Uh, it is a very positive initiative. It has got the response from so many countries from, from the world, including the EU. <coughs> so <coughs> there is a heavy, <coughs> for the time being, that uh, there are a heavy investments from the China and from other countries for the, the, the uh, <coughs> for the investments in the in the uh, belt and the road countries. And uh, you see that the AIB is also has got a strong support from so many countries. We have got this. Uh, so many fund, founder members from the European uh, European unions. <coughs> so I, I, I think that, uh, that uh, for, uh, now the two governments from China and the EU now are very uh, positive for the uh, one belt and one road. Uh, that uh, I, I noticed that uh, the European commi uh, Commission has already expressed interest for the the, 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 the constructions and the uh, <coughs> building the one way round road with hand in hand, hand, hand with China. And also that uh, there is a kind, uh, there is a system is called the 16 plus one system, uh, especially in the east part of the European countries. We have have such, such kind of mechanisms with China for the, the belt and road constructions. So they are so positive. Uh, every time when the Chinese uh, when there is a bilateral uh, strategic dialogues on a high level uh, discussions between two parts, the one belt and one road is uh, is a uh, priority and the main topics for two sides. So in the future, I'm quite convinced that the two, two sides, especially two ends of the, of the, of the Silk Road, China and the Euro Europe, uh, we are going to uh, have the opportunities to join hands, hand in hand so to have uh, more uh, <coughs> presence in the Belden Road. Mr. Vargas, uh, you said that Brazil is traditionally a bit wary of, of, of the plurilateral approach, but Brazil has proposed, made proposals on investment facilitation, which we hear are one of the plurilateral routes. Can you, given that there was a question on, mm -hmm. uh, on plurilaterals, maybe there's something you could comment on as well? And we'll go to Mark van Hoek. Mm -hmm. The fact that we propose uh, an action to be in a plurilateral format is simply because we recognize that we wouldn't be able to move forward on the multilateral format, which is the format where uh, WTO was, was conceived, uh, like uh, several other interna international organizations. And I, I think it was uh, Ambassador Van Heuckling that said, uh, and quite aptly, that uh, WTO was conceived in another, in another era by other countries. And uh, that's, that's true. We we have changed. If we if we look what was the 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 the, end, the, the Uruguay round, for example, and how it ended, how uh, things were made, that was the, that was in view of multilateralism and in view of the consensus rule. There has been also, I, I fully concur with the with the ambassador that has that there has been a kind of abuse of uh, the rule of, uh, uh, of consensus. Perhaps because people 
follow very closely, or some people follow very closely that maxim, that dictum that says that the absolute power exists only when you abu abuse power. So that's that's the real power that exists. So I think that uh, uh, we are now uh, moving to this plurilateral uh, approach that will help us, per, uh, we hope, to arrive to, a cer to certain uh, results. But uh, the point is, will these results, as a rule, come every time we, we appeal to this format? Or uh, should we continue to look for uh, a multilateral format and, uh, and, and uh, uh, consensus? I think that we will need to continue to look for a multilateral format. But if it's not possible, then I think, yes, countries will have to go on. Uh, uh, procurement is an, uh, is a, is an example. Uh, uh, telecommunications is another one. So I think information technology is another one. So I think we need to, 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 to see how we move, we move on. Okay, good. On this question of plurilaterals, um, I mean, again, obviously first best is multilateral. I would imagine that the fishery subsidies file, because it has been given by the UN, which is by definition multilateral, to the WTO to uh, work out disciplines on fishery subsidies by the end of 2020, ought to be a multilateral outcome. Okay. And we all hope that that is going to be the case. Now, um, I am fairly flexible on all other subjects, uh, as long as you have the critical mass. And as long as it is MFN-based, the, the ones who are not in actually get the freebie. Then it's kind of hard to see how their rights have been damaged. Um, this may even, I mean, many people have said for a for a long time that subsidies can only be dealt with multilaterally. And of course there's a lot to be said in, in that favor, but um, perhaps even there, I think that what the US has done under 301 has pointed to a problem that we have to tackle and Andre has, has, has raised this. I mean, there, there are a number of issues with regard to the SEM agreement the uh, subsidies and countervailing measures agreement that may we that may want or that may need revisiting state-owned enterprises uh, uh, below the cost financing uh, issues that clearly lead systematically to overcapacity. Perhaps we have to look at the book again, but if this has to happen multilaterally, well, I think count another ten years. And we don't have those 10 years, especially given the tension that we are going through. So if we want to have faster progress, then plurilateral uh, is uh, something that uh, is, yes, the, uh, perhaps not the most beautiful option, but uh, we have to make a virtue out of a necessity. Okay. Yeah, maybe just one word on the plurilateral, um, I think that the, the, the comparison that uh, all three speakers made 
uh, and, and rightly so. I mean, the standard is against the multilateral, right? And they all have said uh, plurilateral is the second best. Okay, my first best, they all declare nicely. Uh, my first best is multilateral, but recognizing that the system 164 members, difficulties to make progress, let's, uh, let's try in some areas plurilateral, but plurilateral open, the open plurilateral rather than the closed. Um, and I think, you know, I have, I have uh, sympathy for that. I just would add one dimension. I think also on, often on the part of proponents of plurilateral, they don't only compare it to multilateral, they compare it to bilateral or regional arrangements. After all, uh, what we have seen uh, over the last 20, 25 years is a great, great increase in bilateral uh, or regional uh, trade, uh, trade agreements. And uh, although we uh, and everybody, the membership and you know, everybody declares that uh, the regional and bilateral agreements are uh, obviously uh, in the spirit of the WTO, authorized by, uh, by Article 24 GATT, uh, by Article 6 uh, GATT, etc., and that they are a step forward. I mean, all of the things that we, we know. Uh, nonetheless, uh, there is an issue of fragmentation of the system that one cannot uh, ignore. So, you know. After repeating the mantra that uh, regional and multilateral are fully compatible, etc., and then coming back to Earth, we have to agree that uh, it's perhaps not exactly what the framers of the system had in mind when they put Article 24 as 24 and Article 1 uh, as not Article true. 1. I, as I always say, there must have been a reason why one is 24 and one is 1. Okay? And 24 was clearly an exception. And uh, no, an exception which has become the rule is not exactly, I think, what the system was meant to do. So I think that the plurilateral is also a response to that. And when you look in that, that adds to my sympathy. Uh, again, not necessarily first best, but you know, we have also to be mindful of, of the reality uh, of the world. Actually, plurilateralism is not something that is beginning now. We have plurilateral arrangements in the world for many years. You take, for example, the area of disarmament, uh, MTCR, for example, and other arrangements that are plurilateral. And uh, it was the, the, the idea that was the, the, the came because of specific interests, because key players have to, had to be together and so on. The issue is that the, the multilateralism per se is in crisis already for many years. And this is one of the key crises that, were, that came with the end of the Cold War and were aggravated with uh, globalization. The, 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 the disparities mm -hmm. that are inherent to globalization at the political level led people to discredit in some way multilateralism as it was conceived at the end of World War II. So now we are trying to find a second best solution to make the system to continue working 
without knowing if it will work. Very interesting point here. Uh, it isn't very encouraging, though, if, if we haven't reformed the UN since 1945. <laughs> Will we ever reform the WTO? But um, three more. I think there's room for three more questions. We have seven minutes. Um, yeah. Um, there was one here, one there, and over here. Andrei Suse from KU Leuven, a uh, quick question on the appellate body crisis. Ambassador van Hilkelen, if I understood you correctly, you said that plan, plan A was to convince the U.S. to play ball. But what if the U.S. doesn't want to play ball? What's plan B? And I, I believe that Ambassador Vargas always, uh, also alluded to practical ways for mo moving forward on this. Thank you. There was a question here. <coughs> Thank you. My name is uh, Jan-Peter Jebsen, representing Roskidro, which is a global aluminium player and producer and Europe's large producer. Oh. And by that we are hit by 232, 301, overcapacity, the boycott of the oligarchs and the companies and the weak ETO. So we are in the middle of the mess, if I can yeah. use that word. But I have a question actually to Andre because I think you're touching upon how could we improve the VTO and you said that one way would be change the rules, if I understood it correctly. And you said change it in a way that make different economic uh, systems be able to work together, if I understood it correctly. So my question is, is that possible? Because I also understand that VTO is supposed to create some kind of global level playing field. And if at the same time you acknowledge that there are different economic systems working there within the system, are you then actually able to provide a level playing field? I wish it's possible, but I'm quite sure. Thank you. And then there was a question by Hans. Yeah. Yes, uh, thank you, Jana. Uh, Hans van der Boichert uh, with Politico. My uh, initial question was actually picked up already by the gentleman. Um, it was also about the dispute settlement. and potential plurilateral uh, solutions for, for uh, unplugging the dispute settlement. I understand that was also the question of the gentleman. So so my, my, my other question is then, since I can't help see here a Brazilian ambassador and the EU ambassador to the WTO, maybe you can uh, explain us a bit how the discussions on uh, the uh, the Brexit, the, the food quota of the EU uh, in the WTO stand. I mean, I think this is something where uh, you both sides, uh, Brazil is one of the countries which has actually criticized the approach that the EU and the UK came together up at the WTO. Um, have you actually found some, 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 some uh, compromise solution there? Are, you, are there any ideas or uh, why is it so difficult from both points to agree there? That would be good if you could elaborate on that. Thank you. May I make a suggestion that they answer to you separately? Because it's... it's I when, this is not a systemic discussion about the future of the WTO. I'm also very curious about it. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I mean, let's keep it to the to this sort of systemic discussion. So there's one, yeah, <laughs> I, it's up to them. Uh, okay, but um, uh, so there's one more question then. Yeah, here, gentlemen. Mm. Thank you very much. Uh, with China Youth Daily. Um, one, one, one question for the, all the panelists, especially from the EU uh, perspective. How do you view the current uh, trade friction between US and China? And what do you think should and could be done to prevent such trade friction to so-called trade war? Thank you. 
Okay, we have three minutes. We might run slightly over time, but uh, we should keep it a bit short. So we have the question, <coughs> plan B. Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's a question for everyone, but uh, also to uh, Mr. Van Hoeglund. The level playing field conversation, very interesting. I perhaps would like to hear a Chinese perspective on this. Uh, and uh, the EU views on uh, the US-China disputes, which is a big topic as well. Do you? Uh, <coughs> I, I, uh, I prefer that I answer the last question. Okay. <laughs> 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 for the most recent that China <coughs> has to face the, the strong pressures of the United States for the the safeguard and the one investigations. I think, uh, mostly think that uh, the ex the, the, the United States launched the, the safeguard on the national securities is totally uh, obscure. <laughs> if the steel, iron steel is a, is a, is a concern the national securities, what about other other items of the, of the products uh, trade in the world? We have so many thousands of items traded in the, in the world. <clears throat> Why did the, the, the United States pick the iron steel as a, the, uh, as a national security? I, don't, I really don't understand. So it is, a, to my idea, it's kind of a protectionism. For, it's, it has tried to protect the, the domestic in, industries. For 301, the, the so-called so allegations by the United States is that uh, the China going to, uh, is forcing the, the technology transfer and uh, try to get the, the, the technologies from uh, from the trading partners in the, in, the, in joint ventures, I don't think that is uh, is uh, is, uh, is uh, <coughs> on a solid basis, <coughs> because that in China we have no any single laws to enforce <coughs> that the foreign partners to transfer the technology to local companies. It is totally the the the, 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 the consensus reached by the two uh, uh, parts. <coughs> so uh, it is. Uh, Unilateralism and protectionism in China is, I think the China is ready <coughs> to, 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 <coughs> to, to make countermeasures to, to, the, to the United States. Okay. Anyone else, uh, plan B, level playing field? Any? Well, What's a plan B? Well, very, very briefly, um, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what plan B is. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I can only tell you that uh, we will not sit still okay. in the sense that if the U.S. persists and we go to a situation where we are below three, there is paralysis. Now, one member cannot paralyze the system. And we have to think actively on temporary fixes to make sure that the system still functions, even if this may mean that the, w that the U.S does not play in that temporary fix, but uh, we may not get into a situation where um, we are held hostage, 163. And therefore, we have to think about the plan B. Two, um, on the issue of US-China trade war, I think our message is to the US, we understand some of your concerns, actually we share some of your concerns with regard to state-owned enterprises, with regard to intellectual property, with regard to forced technology transfers, with regard 
to the transparency of subsidies. There are issues that have to be brought to the table, but then do it in a WTO-compatible way. With regard to China, we say we are with you on the uh, defense of multilateralism, but on the other hand, there are issues that we need to discuss. There are issues that we need to discuss. Don't run away from them. That is what we say, and we hope that everyone makes sure that uh, this does not spiral out of control. So, Andre, uh, do you want to say something to the level playing field plan B? No, first, uh, first I would say that uh, the, the, the last statement that uh, Mark has just made is uh, I'm 100%. On, on, that, uh, on that line. Uh, I think this is indeed the correct view. Uh, I think from an EU perspective, um, I'm not speaking on behalf of the EU, but I'm speaking as somebody concerned about how the EU acts in, in this. I think the most important issue is the system itself. So I think we have to look at all of our action and what we tell, what we do in the WTO, what we tell to our bilateral partners, uh, whether it's to China, whether it's to Brazil, whether it's the, it is to the United States, we have always to do that in the light of what is our ultimate interest. In my mind, the our ultimate interest is the system, is preserving the system and adapting the system, the, the multilateral trading system and the rules-based system to the, the, the reality of today. So I think that's, we should see everything through, through, that, uh, through that lens. Now, the issue that, that was raised, um, which I think is the most complicated issue. I, I, I don't have an easy answer. Um, how can the WTO system accommodate um, global system of rule? How can it accommodate? Uh, the issue essentially of China, of a different economic model. We in Europe, uh, we call ourselves to be social market economies. China calls itself something close to that, but a slightly different, a socialist market economy. <laughs> that is, right, that, that, is the, uh, that is the official uh, definition of the, the Chinese system by, by China itself. But there is a difference, obviously, between the socialist market economy, so both, not, both are market economies. So both market economies, but market economies, in other words, with a different role of the state in the socialist meaning and in the social meaning. And so I think the reassuring element is the market economy part. <laughs> That's the reassuring. Now, then is the issue of compatibility, and that is of the role of, of the state indeed. Now, in Europe, and I certainly would not want that, you know, it's, the world is not so simple that we extend our European system to the world. I would never claim that. But in Europe, about the, you know, ownership, uh, we are neutral, as you know, in the, in the EU treaty. We are neutral about ownership, state ownership, not state ownership, but we are not neutral about the behavior of uh, state uh, entities. I think that kind of approach Again, I don't want to cut and paste the EU treaty and put it uh, at the global level. But I think that that approach is probably the, uh, the, way, uh, the way forward. So, uh, but I think this is a very, very serious issue. Uh, 
I know that in China itself, obviously, there is the realization uh, of that. I think there is uh, in Europe and elsewhere also the realization that we cannot impose uh, on China or model, but those models need to be compatible. And if they are not compatible beyond a certain level, then the whole system uh, will collapse. So I think we should all be mindful, Europeans, Brazilians, Chinese, Americans, of we, will, we live in a world of diversity, but that diversity has to be uh, accommodated within the rules-based system of the WTO. I find this is a very nice way of ending this uh, conversation. Uh, so let's hope that sort of, sort of unity and diversity will prevail <laughs> uh, to, do, to take a very EU-y type of language. Uh, thank you very much. I think it was a, to all the panelists, it was a very rich, very good discussion, I find. Uh, very good to have all these heads together. And thank you for your very interesting questions, also the audience, which made it even more lively. See you soon. Thank you. Thank you.